0: exclusive podcast from impact 89 fm
1: wdbm east lansing
2: welcome to impact exposure 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 is 88.9 the impact's one hour forum discussing relevant issues affecting the msu community and now tonight's exposure
3: Okay, it's the first Tuesday of the month, and this is the month of May, right, Kevin? Yeah, it's month of May, so on. It's, this is not Emily Fox. Emily is out at a recital tonight. This is Dr. D hosting Sexposure, and we know we have a ton of listeners out there tonight because everyone is checking in as they're studying as they want to hear what's on <laughs> Sexposure tonight, right? So we want to thank Impact, and we want you to uh, get this number down because we have some complimentary prize packs that will blow you out of the water tonight, right, Kevin? Oh, you betcha! We have got the Duck Days backpack filled with all a whole bunch of goodies. Uh,
0: Duck Days shirt, and condoms, free lube. I think there's
3: flavored lube in there as well. So, and we and we have uh, we got a special order of five. Uh, duck tour shirts. Yes, They're yes. most sought after t shirt on campus with the duck tour, and we got some designated <laughs> duck shirts.
0: We'll see. And, and
3: our <laughs> guest is already pointing that she wants one, so <laughs> we're going to have to reserve it. So the first four or five callers calling in at 432 3893 here at Impact will get a duck shirt complimentary right call in heck yeah and we'll give him a prize back to it's the end of the year we got to give, gotta everything, give away. everything
0: away this is the last show for the year
3: and, and, and we have we have a special guest with us tonight who uh, was on back in the fall and she got such rave reviews we had a puller from the classroom pull her in uh, on finals week uh, so she can talk about topics that Kevin has just written up and we're just we're just gonna have fun tonight right Kev oh, I hope so so let's go around and introduce ourselves I'm Kevin. I work
0: at Olin Hall Center um with the yep sorry, I clapped in the mic <laughs> i uh, work in this uh section sexu- or excuse me student health services
2: area.
3: I'm Dr. D, and our special guest tonight is Dr. Tim.
2: Yes, thanks for inviting me back. I had a lot of fun the last time I was here. um I'm Dr. Tina Tim and I'm faculty in the School of Social Work. Um, I teach a sex therapy class here on campus. I teach the undergraduate human sexuality class and I work in a private practice in the community doing primarily sex therapy.
3: And Dr. Tim is here tonight to take your phone calls, so please do not be shy, Four three two three eight nine three. You will not only get your questions answered, but you'll get that duck tour shirt. <laughs> If you're one of the first four callers, then you'll get a prize back that Kevin worked on all day to all put together. You've got to keep <laughs> Rob busy. Rob's in the control room there, and he's looking kind of bored. And, you know, med students, they just kind of get bored after a while. So please call in at 432-3893.
0: What's, what's the topic they're calling in on, though? That's well, the, I know. The well, well, the I, I, was,
3: I was kind of holding that. I was, I was building up. I was getting the to momentum. the climax. Climax. You know, when Kevin put it, the agenda together and sent it around to Dr. Tim and myself, I think we both looked at it, what what this is one night's worth of topics but <laughs> I got a little over Ke- it Kevin gets a little ambitious <laughs> so 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 the so if you're taking a break from your studies and you want to call in the question is what extent will you go to to be sexually satisfied yeah. now when I first saw that I'm going Dr. Tim what what does it actually mean to be sexually satisfied cuz you know I've been in the practice a long time too I've been around for 25 30 years and used to teach the class that you're teaching now the the human sexuality course and you know I get this question a lot I mean what is it in your experience when someone says I want to be sexually satisfied or I want to know what that is or understand that what, what do you tell them
2: well it's a complicated one because it means something different <laughs> I
3: think everyone. we're gonna start off with an easy one did you right? I know but,
2: I know it's such a, a terrible answer but it really does depend And I think um, one of the best kind of explanations that I've heard along the way, which I think is interesting, and it to paraphrase it, it goes something like people are satisfied with the level of sex that they think they deserve. And what that means is that if you have low expectations about your sex life, you might be really satisfied. But if you have high expectations and that's not being met, then you're less satisfied. But it's not where, what you're doing or how often you're getting sex or what type of sex is it. It's about your own expectations. If I expect to get sex every day and I expect that sex to last an hour and I expect it to include multiple orgasms and I'm not getting that, then I'm going to be pretty dissatisfied. But if I expect once a week... Maybe orgasm every once in a while, and that's that's good enough for me. I might be really satisfied.
3: Well, you know see, that's funny because but when I saw this <laughs> saw this question, I'm thinking the quality of one experience. When I say sexually satisfied, and ah. you were thinking quantity about as somebody would think about sex. Am, am I sexually satisfied if I get more than I expected or not as much as expected? It's kind of it's kind of strange the way you answered because when I looked at the question, I'm going. Usually, I get from somebody is, how do I know when I'm satisfied with one encounter? Ah. Oh. You know, okay, so that is. Does it, does it have to different. end in orgasm? Does it have to end in we're both having, you know, orgasms at the same time? Is How do I know when I'm sexually satisfied as one experience? Mm-hmm. Is that how you wrote it, Kev?
0: That's kind of what I was thinking about. And now that you mentioned these expectations, I kind of wonder well, um, your expectations are kind of ever growing, I guess you can think. Mm-hmm. And I, the way I'm thinking, when you were speaking was that um as a young person i guess uh sexual satisfaction to me would be anything new that i i find interesting or intriguing that i enjoyed or i liked and that becomes my new the new standard i guess well, how do you know like, when You're satisfied. I mean, it, what it feels good. I mean, let's be down to it. Like it feels good um, before, after, during. I mean, you're happy with what happened. You remember it to be a good experience, whatever that was during it.
3: So it's based on the moment or based on the total experience. I kind of I see. Think I would argue scale. with that.
2: I yeah. would argue with that because I think some people can have sex that feels really good, mm-hmm. but not have the emotional connection and walk away feeling empty. True. And so I mean, I've talked to women, they cry themselves to sleep mm-hmm. because they didn't, they had the orgasm, it felt good, but they didn't feel like they connected.
3: So, so how, how do just, you tell someone then to, to know the the requirements of being satisfied? I mean, what, what, what are the variables that you need to be satisfied? I mean, the sex was good, but they didn't have any emotional commitment. Or he's great looking, but... I didn't feel like it was satisfying because he didn't say I love you, I mean, how do you tell somebody when, you know, think, how to judge whether you're satisfied? I think it's or. all
0: about exploring personally. Like you, you're not gonna find what works for you unless you try it out. And I guess you can go with the pros and the cons of everything that you go through. As simple as that, I feel like. But then, that's again going back to you're making your new expectations. I don't know, but
2: well, I, in some ways, I. I yeah, this is the therapist in me speaking. It's not for me to define. It's not for me to tell anyone. It's not. I mean, what I what would really satisfy me is different than what would satisfy someone else. So, it's it's self defined, and I think the biggest dilemma clinically, and this is true, I think, for some um, younger people, but certainly across the lifespan, is that people don't know, and they come in to therapy and they say, "Teach me better sex." And
3: um, like, do um do they ask you that? Do they ask you well, teach Straight you about sex? Or they they teach you? They ask you how can I become satisfied, or how can I satisfy my partner, or how can we mutually have satisfaction? What the, what, what's the question? And just so I can tell our callers four three two, three eight nine three. The question right now at this moment is what extent will you go to be to be sexually satisfied? And we have the prize packs, and we have the T-shirts, the limited edition, but. What do we...
2: Uh, Clinically, I get a very specific sample of people, and they're not coming in to know how to be more satisfied. They're coming in because they're in a lot of pain, because something's going really wrong. This is accumulated over time. They might be on the verge of divorce. And so they kind of come to me as a last resort. They've tried other things. They've talked to people. They've talked to their friends. they've had a lot of fights about it typically and so that kind of just helped me to be more satisfied i don't really get in my office i get people in a much more a place that includes a lot more pain um so i think we're just talking about a different group of people probably you know there's a lot of people that you know have a pretty good sex life and they want to make it better they it's okay but they want to kind of turn up the volume it feels like that's more the population i
3: mean they're you know as I look at this agenda now, I'm going, oh, it's a, this is seven hours worth of yeah. Oh, conversation. Yeah. yeah. I'll but, erase it all. But, you know, there's, as you said, a lot of folks come in to see you that are already in some type of pain. And I would say not small part of it may be physical pain, but most of it is probably more psychological, psychological pain. Yeah, that's what I'm referring to. More psychological pain. Uh, but if people just want to come in and say, as Kevin wrote it out, I love how you write some of this stuff out, Kevin. <laughs> what can you do if you want better sex? You know, my my first thing is, okay, what, That's why I put what, it in the the quotes. Bad tags. Or sex. <laughs> but <laughs> what, what do we? What do you tell them? I mean, you know, I've been doing HIV counseling now for 18 years, and sometimes at the you know at the end of the counseling, Kevin's just starting uh, here yeah. at, at the uh, university, uh, students will ask me, and most times, uh, and I'm going to say Dr. T. I was going to say Dr. T. and Special K and Dr. D. but well, we'll work this out. <laughs> uh, they'll, they'll say to me, you know, okay, now that I've got my results, uh, I'm not sure why I'm having sex, and in most times it is women. And they'll say, oh, you know, how do I know how to have better sex, and how do I know how to satisfy my partner, and uh, help me here.
2: All right. So, my top three about how to have better sex.
3: Kevin's right, and he's done listening. listening. All right, here we go. <laughs>
2: Communicate. Number one top of the list, be talking to your partner about what feels good, about what doesn't feel good. Don't. Uh, hopefully there's some safety in the relationship to be able to, to say um, without worrying about the other person's ego. Most of the time, in my experience, they want to know. They, they want to know what could make it better. And uh, the biggest dilemma that I run into is, people who their partner's asking them all the time you know what do you want to do what feels good what would you like more of and they're like too shy mm-hmm. to say
3: oh yeah. yeah
2: and so communicate talk talk talk
3: well let, let me let me stop it you you know i probably know you're well enough now and i have enough respect for you to push on this that's sure. wishy-washy therapy stuff communicate but it's not here. that easy you know it's not it's that easy it's hard
2: so that goes to my second okay. one that i just wrote down <laughs> be brave okay and brave is about taking the risk to talk about it. Brave is about, I think this thing would be fun, but you're worried that they all, your partner might think you're a pervert for suggesting it. Um, brave is being willing to try new things that you might not have considered in the past. So it does. It absolutely takes bravery so on the But, but on the, the corollary,
3: corollary with bravery is also there's an element of risk in that. Oh. I mean, there's an element of risk where you sure. say, hey— I would like to dress up tonight, and the other your, your partner says, "What the heck are you talking mm-hmm. about I mean so how does someone how does someone get brave? How do you get brave i mean you've said communicate and you've said brave you know, and I say that to folks at times, but how do how do you get brave I think,
0: Kev? I say fine, make sure you have the trust with the partner at least at some uh, at some level i mean you're going through these sexual encounters, hopefully uh there's some sort of trust there, and uh I guess just anchor onto that trust personally i think Um, yeah
2: i think ideally there's a lot of trust in the relationship but i also think again this is going to sound like therapist talk but (laughs) it's about holding onto yourself meaning that i know myself i know my body i'm responsible for my own sexuality i'm not going to assume that anyone's going to be able to mind read they aren't supposed to just know um What works for everyone and so it's just and i know you can challenge me on this too it's you know how do you hold on to yourself it's it's a complicated one i think people sometimes know it when they feel it because it's the hard stuff it's the stuff that makes our heart race Mm because i'm going to take a stand on something that my partner might not just might not agree with i'm going to um stand up for something against the majority Mm -hmm. i'm uh going to say what needs to be said but sexually it's about um I own what feels good for me and I and I own my own pleasure.
3: So your top three are communication, bravery, and owning yourself. And here at that No, were, no, I,
2: owning myself was a part of the being brave because okay, you so you you <laughs> the third the third one's have, have fun.
3: Have fun. Yeah. It's
2: so, it doesn't have to be so
3: serious. Sex is serious. I mean, come oh. on. Here, I thought your top two was going to be uh, a dildo, uh, mutual masturbation, <laughs> and lube. Nope. And you're saying it's nope. these psychological things, is communication, being being brave and owning yourself, and then having fun. mm mm-hmm. What does fun have to do with sex? Oh, my goodness. Come on. Everything. <laughs> yeah, <Come> on. right? <laughs> oh. That's, so so that's... What, what you're saying from your perspective as a therapist out there— uh, is that it should be about fun?
2: Yeah. What good is it to have a dildo if you're not talking about how to use it, being brave in what you do, and having fun with it? Right. Otherwise, it's just, just, a, just a piece of plastic.
3: You know, there there, there are uh, tractor farmers in Potterville right now who are overturning the field, <laughs> going, "What is going on there?" Because you're actually, you know, in a society, we're not taught to relate communication and or fun. With sex. No,
2: I know. We do a lousy job of it.
3: No, so.
2: Parents don't talk about it with kids. It sets up an atmosphere of shame. There's giggles about it. People don't learn the facts. People, yeah, there's all kinds of secrecy about it. So, yeah, I mean, people just, they don't, they aren't taught those fundamentals. And I think it's really it's really important. And it goes back to the basics. I mean, when I teach this undergraduate human sexuality Mm -hmm. class, I just go, I go, you know, nuts about how even, even body parts we don't teach very well. We make up the cutesy names and we, you know, disguise them as, you know, tatas and wieners and everything else. And, and, you know, what's, we call a nose a nose, we call, you know, eyes, eyes, we call knees, knees, and we skip over everything in between. And it sends a message that it's not okay.
3: Now, my, my favorite uh, from teaching at good old Lansing Community College is uh, the clitoris is uh, what is she called? The cum spot. <laughs> it was not the clitoris. You could not say clitoris. It was, it was the cum spot. So now that we've piqued your interest, 432. Yes. Keyword. 3893. Three. And the question, and maybe I should move on to the next question as folks are talking, because I want to go back to some of these uh, about one of them is explore your fantasies. So here's the question for you. Kevin says, is this just too risque even for impact? No, it's not, not too risque impact. <laughs> what are your sexual fantasies? Call in with a question or call in to tell us what your sexual fantasies and you will get the complimentary prize pack to Kevin's special, which has a the uh, limited edition duck tour shirt along with the pina colada flavored lube and the new condoms, and it's complimentary. We even throw in some of the complimentary. I think Douglas J. Massages that we have. Right. We'll Sticking a couple of those. That's so what I wanted. to Calling. What, what are your sexual fantasies? And we know the first, judgment-free conversation. Judgment-free. But you know, uh, s- some of this cabbage uh, K- wrote down about better sex. You know, explore your fantasies. I mean, that's you talk about being brave. I mean, you know, back in the past when I did some counseling and, and I had the time to do it, I would say, you know, as part of that communication, explore your fantasies. I mean. Talk a little bit about the purpose of even talking about fantasies. What's the purpose of of a, a sexual fantasies? I mean, giving me that I look like you should know that, but you know, I don't think people know. I mean, we the other day we discussed in the office the purpose of masturbation, and it went from this side of the room to this side of the room. When, well, it's 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 for having fun, pleasure, but it's it, but it's also it's for relieving sexual tension. It's also for for uh, knowing to get in touch with your body. It's for a lot of different reasons. Tapping
0: into the creative side of your brain,
3: perhaps, and <laughs>
0: writing yourself a little script as to what you want to experience because it's not going to come to you naturally unless you seek it out yourself. I think it's exploring, which only
3: heightens your expectations. By the way, that's Kevin advocating masturbation. And I know. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I wasn't given uh, my last no, name for anything. On the list, we, we had, you know, explore your fantasies. But, I mean, that's got to be... That's got to, you've got to be brave to do that with a, somebody.
2: Yes. Yes. That's why bravery's on my list. You've got to be able to communicate. You've got to be brave, and you've got to have fun with it. See, it goes back to my top three. <laughs> um, but why? Your, your question was why do it? I think, you know, we, you know, a lot of people want that long-term, satisfying relationship that's there over time with a partner and the fact of the matter is it can get really boring so how do you keep it
3: nobody wants to hear that everyone
2: knows that that. everyone knows that oh yeah no I mean no not everyone but statistically you know sexual satisfaction and marital satisfaction do go down after marriage particularly after kids that's you know, normal developmentally, I guess, or for the lifespan. Not that I think people should be satisfied with the fact that it just, you know, does this slow slide into unhappiness. So I want to normalize it in that way, but I also want to send a real message of hope, which is that it doesn't have to be that. But you have to prioritize it. It gets last on the list. It gets last after job, last after kids, last after... Hobbies, last after cleaning the house, and then people go to bed, and they're exhausted. You know and you're
3: demoralizing don't. Kevin. No, here. no, no. Not at all. No, because no,
2: oh. no, he's got to hear the message of hope.
3: I do, I do. And I, uh, it, you're, you're telling us the passion wanes. As a a very, very, it can very,
2: if you don't prioritize it. Okay.
0: And I think I mentioned this maybe when we had the masturbation talk, but when it's not common talk, you're not going to bring up it often throughout your day. Um, let alone if you have kids. You're not going to bring it up in front of your kids. And there's only specific times when you're able to explore this area. Um, I feel like that's that makes it a little taboo itself. I mean, we aren't conditioned to, at work, bring up something that w- would be in best regards to our private times, basically. Um, and I feel like that is a big problem as to why we don't take it as seriously because it's not often spoken about we i mean we go back to calling them wee wees or like this as as a young child i think it's just we have such a parents don't want their kids thinking about them having sex and kids don't want their thinking to, to think about their parents having sex I mean it's just it's all about keeping your certain doors shut I feel like a
3: guy which, driving a tractor just ran into a tree <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> well thinking I mean, about I his parents
0: having sex as as uh, I think it just needs to be I don't know there's just too many conflicts of interest when it comes to people who don't want that to be introduced into their children's upbringing when they when it's teaching them about uh, a comfortable conversation regarding your own personal body or even exploring your own personal body I think you're just gonna have so many different mind, different mindsets where it's hard to diffuse all that and get the message out there that it's comfortable and it's normal and it's, it it should be spoken about. In fact, call us in. Call in right now. 432-3893 and let's talk about it.
3: If you have an opinion on the topic at hand here, and I don't say that lightly, <laughs> uh, please call in. The question right now and then you get your complimentary prize pack and the duck t-shirt is, what are your sexual fantasies? Now, we started to talk about you know sexual fantasies and the purpose of them and it, it is. I mean, I think it's it's almost more revolutionary to say that that long-term relationships can get boring I think people want to expect that it's always going to be you know passion and it's always going to be this so if we bring in if we bring in the concept of sexual fantasies into the relationship that's going to indicate that I'm bored with it or that you're not fulfilling me or I'm not fulfilling myself and my experience in talking to people who actually have shared fantasies and may even act them out as long as in the safety of, of that relationship that they find a lot of uh, newness about it and a lot of passion brought back into it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Has that been your experience? I mean, do, in the uh, confines of therapy, do people talk about sexual fantasies?
2: Yes, and usually the number one question that I get is, am I normal? Ah, (laughs) see? Yeah, which is a very typical question related to issues of sexuality. People want a professional to say, Am I okay? Am I not okay um and so you know there's actually there's actually been um a fair amount of um qualitative research that's been done around sexual fantasies, and I think the most uh, kind of the one of the first books that was published about it was called my Secret Garden mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the researcher um had women. Interviewed women, I think initially, but then had women just send their fantasies to her um, it was It was female focused and um, and then she did a content analysis looking at all the different themes within those within those fantasies and wrote this book about the different kind of categories of sexual fantasies and and i 've recommended it to women along the way, just as a way of them getting. Um, more comfortable with the range of fantasies that are out there, that other women do have them. Uh, I think sometimes women get really detached from their sexuality, and the, if you ask them about a fantasy, they'll say, "Fantasy? I don't have any fantasies." But it's that lack of, it's that lack of connection with what even turns them on anymore. So sometimes you gotta, I kind of talk with people about, you know, we're gonna assume that there's a little flicker of, flicker there of your sexuality. And we're gonna do things to kind of blow on it and fan it some and get it to get it to be more. Uh, what do you?
3: Huge. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna to we're light gonna up. we're gonna blow on one right now. We got a caller on the line. Uh, thanks for calling. What's your question? Your comment. Hi. Um. I was
1: wondering about uh, sexual fantasies, and I guess my biggest thing is I like being tickled, and my partner thinks really weird but I like being tickled and it's because I say like stop stop don't do it but I'm getting an erection from it so like I like that they're doing it so I guess how do I make that less of an awkward situation with my
3: partner dr. Tim I,
2: I would be really curious about what goes on for your partner that um what did you what did you say the what does your partner say
1: um, he just says I'm, like, being, like, stop, stop, but it's, I'm obviously, like, laughing while I'm doing it because I'm mean, being So, like, I would like them to keep it up. Right. But it's, it becomes, like, this awkward situation. It's like, oh, it's stop. like, oh, you want me to stop? I'm like, no, I didn't want you to stop. <laughs> I've been really enjoying that a lot. Right. A lot.
2: Yeah, it seems like, you know, a conversation outside of the actual sexual situation would help that. And say, yeah, sometimes I say stop because, it, you know, it does tickle, but it feels really good, and I do want you to continue. Uh, in, and, you know, just be really clear about when you say stop, it doesn't mean stop, and you do really like it. I think, uh, you know, there's... One of the other things on our agenda, potentially later, is to talk about issues of S and M, which is also kind of tied to people's fantasies. Oh yeah, I don't know to how
1: that hurts.
2: Yeah, but I think it it goes. What I was going to, what I was going to go into is that when people engage in S and M behaviors, they often have a um, a code word Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. they decide on themselves, and if that code word gets used, then the partner knows. It needs to stop, and it needs to stop right now. And you don't, because you don't ever want to push past those boundaries. So maybe that's something that you and your partner could explore that you come up with a code word, and if you don't say that, it's, you know, tickle away.
3: Let, let me ask you uh, do you feel comfortable having a conversation outside the context of, of sex with your partner about this, or not?
1: Um, I do. I guess this never really came up. And then my other concern is that you know, they're going to think anytime time they tickle me that I'm going to want, you know, like smush-smush.
3: Oh, okay. So so anytime like, you're in the middle of McDonald's and the partner starts tickling you, you you think that they may expect you to have sex at that point?
1: Yeah, you know, it's just like a time of... Thing. Like, sometimes it's okay, sometimes it's not. You know, and even if you are in the bedroom, you don't want them to necessarily think that tickling is going to be one thing that, like, sets me off.
2: Huh. You know, I think that that your your issue specifically about tickling but i think that happens with lots of couples where you know uh passionate kissing is something that really turns them on and then their partner thinks well i'm not going to pat i'm not going to kiss them passionately because that means it's a it's a invitation to have sex and mm-hmm. so they kind of hold back on the behaviors that they think might turn their partner on if they're ambivalent about having sex so again i just think it's i think it's good to just Kind of open up space for, yeah, you can tickle me and I might get an erection, but it doesn't mean we have to have sex and it doesn't mean I require that. Um, or that, you know, there would be any sort of expectation on the part of your partner either.
1: Mm-hmm. So tickling what's should the, still be fun. What's the other guy's opinion on that? Kyle, is that his name? What's that? What's the other guy's
2: opinion
0: on this? Like Kyle, is that what his name is? Kevin? Oh, Kevin. Oh, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, right, Kevin. Um, well, she was kind of tapping into the. Uh, s&m thing i definitely think communication about when is a good time and perhaps i guess looking at it as the simplest form is like okay now's not a good time or um i don't know communi- you had one of your uh first thing you said was communication is the best thing to get the message across i guess uh right then and there if you're thinking that it's gonna take uh to the next level or next step then you have to let them know in all serious counts, like, oh, not right now, or at least uh, let them know when a good time would be. I guess is simple.
3: Well, you know, I gave I gave Dr. Tim a lot of static for her, 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 her <laughs> top one of communication, but it really is when it comes down to it. I think the most sensuous thing you can do with your partner is to have that kind of open, vulnerable communication. It's not easy. It is not easy, especially outside the context of, of what you sometimes prescribe as the bedroom and or the, the sexual dance theater, and we don't want to take communication outside of that because it's only there that we want to have it. But. And we do appreciate your call. Hang on the line. We're Can gonna I get... just say
2: one more quick thing? Sure. I just want the caller to know that when when he initially said, you know, that that's what was arousing, that I, I had a big smile because I think it's so sweet. And I think it's really a fun thing that could be, uh, a, you know, really, really used um, appropriately
3: within the relationship.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much. Thank you. you we'll put
3: you on hold. Hang on a second it brings up, you know, I think an issue that might seem extremely personable to him and personal to him. But it's an issue that I think a lot of couples have about how do I know that, you know, if uh, I go home and kiss my wife a certain way that she's going to be, no, no, I don't want to have sex. And I've actually... Uh, you know, heard that before. People go home and they start something that usually leads to sex, but it doesn't have to lead to sex. It doesn't have to be the initiator. Mm-hmm. But unless you communicate about it, it's like, no, don't passionately kiss me like that because I'm not in the mood for sex. Mm-hmm. Well, no. I, I just kind of wanted to give you a nice, big, right. wet kiss. Right, <laughs> right. And so it's, You're in the it's, moment. It's tough. But yeah, four three two three eight nine three. if you have any questions or comments on the topics we're talking about. Well, can-
0: Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say we have kind of tapped into the S and M uh, and creating a comfortable environment and/or a comfortable word where you know certain things are, and I guess that's what I put the whole this whole second page of the agenda was regarding. I'm not S- skipping S&M. over. I'm
3: not skipping oh, over erogenous I want to make sure zones. We talk about it. <laughs> I, we, we got Dr. Kim, I want I want to ask uh, her about the erogenous zones for a minute. Then oh, we'll, we'll, great. We'll let's, jump to that. S and M back then. I mean, people people talk about erogenous zones and, and the difference between sexuality and sensuality. I mean, can you can you tell our listeners how you would describe the difference between sensuality and sexuality, if there is a difference?
2: Oh, I think that um, there certainly can be a lot of overlap, and I like it when they go hand in hand. But typically, um, sexuality feels like it's more about the behavior, for me, actually what people do and sensuality feels more about like it's about the overall experience and as the name would imply the senses that go along with it and i think so you know one of the things that i do when i work with couples is teach them mindfulness exercises because that helps them to be more sensual they get very goal focused and they get f- focused on the behavior and what, the end goal what kind goal. of an exercise well, just you know, really reorienting them to um, to being mindful of all five senses and mm-hmm. how all five senses can be useful in being a turn on. Mm-hmm. People, you know, obviously know that touch is a big one of the one of the five senses, and that that's the one that gets used all the time. But you know, I encourage couples to set an atmosphere when um, they're. Together with their partner, that it does include sound and and um, whether that's music or silence or whatever it would be, um, that taste would be a part of it. Not just tasting each other's body, but you know, people incorporate food and uh, the overlaps and the parallels between sensuality in eating and sensuality and sexuality. There's lots of overlaps with that, and I always think it's interesting um, how some people's Behaviors and attitudes around food are directly correlated with their behaviors and attitudes around sex. So people that can't enjoy food and they just kind of see it as um, the means to the end, like let me just do what needs to be done to nourish my body, they'll oftentimes have sex in very similar ways, mm. like let me just get to the orgasm, but I'm going to skip all the the pleasure that get you know that leads up to that. So I think it's interesting, and I often use a buffet example with couples that. You probably know people, and they go to a buffet where there's a hundred different items on the buffet, and they eat the same darn thing every single time they go. And I used to eat like, the gator, so, so, yeah. But that's what's great about a buffet, is that you can try little right. tiny bits of things to kind of expand your expand your Palette. senses and your palate, and... Um, but again, you know, I, I think that's what I try to encourage people to do. They, they get to be kind of one trick ponies. They have sex in one way, in one position, in one place in the house, on one day of the week, and they're missing the whole buffet.
0: What do you think about priority though? Do you, do you often get cases where sex is not? A number, like a priority of theirs all the time and that's me most
2: of the time most
0: of the time that's the problem okay yeah okay or, like
2: I said it just uh, it becomes there's so many minefields around it that they kind of end up avoiding it mm-hmm. um, more than more than anything
3: so 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 I'm seeing that your new book is going to be called the uh, I mean we always talk about intuitive eating so it's going to be intuitive sex? Maybe. Or maybe. The, the sexual buffet?
2: Yeah, the sexual buffet. Now that has a <laughs> certain ring to it. <laughs> I like well, it. Right, I like that.
3: You know, we, talk, we talked for, you know, I think uh, 25 years in the class. We talk about sensuality and how important it is. And that, you know, of the 5,000 different exercises I've done in the in the human sexuality class, where I've asked people, to, what is the most sensuous thing? that uh, enhances your sexual experience and what detracts from it. Overdoing that 5,000 students, you know what two t- came to the top of the list on both of those? S- touch and smell mm-hmm. was the biggest enhancers. Touch and smell were the biggest detractors. Isn't that interesting? Uh, doing 5,000 different, it was good smell and bad smell and uh, adequate touch, satisfying touch and not enough touch. It was. Hmm. After doing those for, you know, mm-hmm. 25 years, always come the sensuality part would come to the top. And it's really, they say if if you've been around babies long enough and, you, and you've had your own, you know that babies you usually find things by either smelling or touch. Mm-hmm. That's how they kind of discover the world. And we, and we kind of lose that. So right. uh, I always say that we've, we've, as a society, have lost the fine art of, of kissing, number one. Oh, sure. And the, uh, that's really kind of been taken for granted, as, as some people say what did What did the couple say to me the other day? Well, he goes from mouth to crotch in two point five seconds, mm-hmm. and it's just you lose that whole thing so I mean I think it's yeah. it's important for people to understand what that's why I asked you the question about sensuality and sexuality because sometimes people confuse the two or don't really even have a a a, a kind of an understanding of what sensuality is, and there's so many things that are sensuous, mm-hmm. and we put up a lot of barriers to sensuality. Sure. Which I'm sure you see.
2: Did you ever used to ask your students um, uh, what is their what they think is their biggest sex organ?
3: Well, we, yeah, the brain. and the guys no. are. Oh, I got the it. Ding 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 ding.
2: <laughs> you know, people's mind oh, go you know oh, you know she's talking about the penis you know or
3: <laughs> breasts or
2: something what like that. That's the
3: guys that. usually go. Okay. But it's,
2: a- it's I did absolutely not. <laughs> it's absolutely what's between your two ears. Yeah. That that determines. What um, what is arousing to you and and what isn't? So um, and people, you know, I think the other thing that I that I sometimes ask students is, do you think you can have an orgasm without touching your genitals? And they're like, no. <laughs> and then I ask, and then I ask men, have you ever had a wet dream? And they're like, yeah.
0: Wow, loophole.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And women also have sexual dreams and can have orgasms um, in their sleep without touching their genitals. And, I mean, how interesting is that, that when the external controls and the conscious things, yeah, when when there's no kind of inhibitions that, you know, you can tap into your sexuality in such a powerful way that just thinking sexual thoughts can... um, can make you have an orgasm
3: so how do we find that clarity then <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I, I would love to I mean uh, in the fall we'll do another one just on mindfulness in in yeah. and, and, and sexual behavior and sexual thoughts because I think that alone uh, will help a lot of people it's really just being mindful about what you're thinking what you're doing how's it going about but if four three two three eight nine three if you want to call in and tell us what you think arousing is Please let us know we have we have a complimentary prize box that Kevin's just <laughs> wanting to get rid of with the the duck Tour shirts four three, two three eight, nine, three tell us what's arousing too so some i know role playing i know, I know, I, know I know you're <laughs> dying to get to the s yes and m question because we we've had it for a long time but, you know there was a i used to start off the the s and m discussion in the human sexuality course with a uh, a column from ann landers that that uh now is about 25 years old and it starts off like this it says i have to tell you about the neighbors uh, i went over and i heard this blood-curdling scream coming from the neighbor's house and i ran over to the neighbor's house and i want to know what to do and i ran over there and i walked inside and i ran upstairs and i found the the, the, the neighbor lady tied hand and foot to the bed and i found uh, her husband out cold on the floor with a Batman cape and mask on, apparently Batman had gotten up on the dresser and tried to jump onto the bed and hit his head on the revolving fan and went out like a light. <laughs> and she said, uh, "I don't know what to do," but it was such a it was such an embarrassing situation. And Ann Landers said, "Well, just untie them and let them go about their thing." <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was it was somebody's view on you know on the idea of role playing and fantasies and probably a little S and M there. So, but where do you draw? I mean, it's hard to draw the line, I guess, personally looking at it. I
0: mean, uh, how often does it get mistaken for violence rather than pleasure? I mean, I'm sure in their consensual experience that's going on, it's very... They're much in the know whether or not it's violence or not violence, but like you said somebody hearing it in the very thin walls of an apartment building <laughs>
3: well, she she was screaming for her life because she was tied on the bed <laughs> when right. it was right it's, it's, but the, the, i think the the purpose of that was that you know the 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 woman who came to the aid of the, the screaming when she realized it wasn't a situation that was a dire need in the sense of being domestic violence which which is a real thing and or some type of violence you didn't know what to say or expect from it. but So, I mean, we've had callers in the past who've called in and, and said things about S&M. And, and, you know, to be honest, we haven't either had the time or I haven't been brave enough to deal with that topic. So, I mean, just, Dr. Tim, if you could tell our listeners what S&M is. What, is, what does it stand for and what's the purpose of it and why do people just seem to want to know a lot about. You know, in my class, I would always ask a question, how many of you are into light spanking? Hmm. And I would get this nervous look and giggly until, until you know, uh, uh, they realized it's a safe question in a safe area, mm-hmm. in a safe class. And then, then about 75% of the students would raise their hand, but they'd all look around like, I'm not raising my hand unless I see some norm, you know, right. a norm here. You have to follow the, <laughs> the <current>. Yeah. <laughs> so so what, what is it all about?
2: Uh, if we start with the basics, S and M is two very distinct pieces, and that being the S standing for sadism, which is um, which is giving pain or inflicting pain on someone else, and um, masochism, which is you know kind of a, a word that lots of people are familiar with, which is receiving pain, and we use that in general language. Oh, that person's being such a masochist because they, mm-hmm. you know, seem to like being hurt in some way or putting themselves in positions where they get hurt, not sexually, but just in general. And so um, some people are much more drawn. I mean, some people practice S&M, and they like both giving and receiving, so certainly that happens. But some people are more specifically, specifically drawn toward being the one that has it done to them or being the one that actually does it. And uh, the biggest point that the, I think the listeners should know is that it is on a continuum I think it gets put in this categorical. It gets talked about in this categorical way, like mm-hmm. you know, these are normal people and these are people that do an S and M. I'm like, no, it's like any behavior. It's it goes from light spanking, like you said, like love bites, yeah, or to love bites or things bound like that. <laughs> yeah, and then it goes up the scale, and some people certainly engage in things that are, um, you know, less less typical and involves some some behaviors that lots of people might be pretty uncomfortable with but for me it goes back to is it being done between adults in a consensual relationship where both are agreeing to to do that now there's gray areas with that because because of power differentials mm-hmm. we have to be concerned that sometimes people don't feel like they can say no and that's that's another whole topic. But within this conversation, we should say, or we should, I'm going to make the assumption that it is adult relationships and is completely consensual. I, I just think there's lots of room for exploring that.
3: You said it's on a continuum, and Kev, kind of jump in here, but, but I think, as you were saying before, is it normal? Is it normal to, for people to want to either inflict pain on somebody for a heightened arousal or to receive pain? Or is there just such a, a fine line between, you know, you we, our caller who talked in about the tickling? That some people could perceive tickling as almost creating pain in some ways.
2: Oh, sure. It can it can be torture. Oh, sure. <laughs> and
3: I was going to bring up the, uh, I mean, we are talking about pain,
0: but I also read that, I mean, would would you agree that maybe humiliation is a large part of it too? Can D- be. And so it's not, I would say to the audience, it's not always necessarily all about pain when it comes to S&M. I kind of read some things about how the humiliation aspect of it Mm -hmm. can, uh, uh, well, first of all, it said uh, for some being under the power of a strong controlling presence may evoke like feelings of safety, which I would look at as a contradicting, like, how do you feel safe if pain is involved? Like me, I don't make that connection, but Mm -hmm. they may look at it that way. Um, and then I would—I just brought up the humiliation part because uh, maybe the pain isn't the first thing that people think of when they're even uh, dealing with S&M or even engaging in it. I feel like maybe they are also tapping into other feelings of not necessarily, I need to feel physical pain, but when they're tied up, they're bound. They have other feelings that are evoked from these actions.
2: So I, I think there's the... There's the physical piece of s and um, and there's the psychological piece mm-hmm. to S&M and, and again, lots of times they go hand in hand mm-hmm. but one of the exercises that I have my students do, and this is fun in a room of 150 students, I say what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to clap our hands together, we're going to clap them together really hard for like 15 seconds and that feels like forever You know, when you're clapping your hands really hard and then I ask them to stop and then I say, now just gently rub, touch your hands together. What does that feel like? And what it does when you clap your hands together like that is it? it arouses all the nerve endings in your skin and in your hands. And when you touch your hands together, then there's a heightened sense of nerve endings. Mm-hmm. And it feels different than if I just rub my hands together right now, even if I do it lightly. And And so I think students kind of it helps them, you know, again, to see the continuum. I mean, I'm not tying anyone up when I do that, but, Mm -hmm. you know, when you, when you, um, you know, hit your hands together, it does increase the sensitivity, and people are like, oh, you know, maybe just have just a few more degrees of awareness why some Mm -hmm. people might do that, and why it might arouse the nerve endings in a way that then, when you lightly touch it, feels like a whole different experience for them.
3: So you're actually giving... I would say a rational explanation why some people are involved in light spanking and actually can find arousal from that, because you know, in my experience, when you talk to people about it they have this bit of a you know <laughs> you know look on me if you could see a look on my face and they go, you know i I, I get some of, I get some arousal out of it, but I don't quite understand it, and mm-hmm. it's embarrassing, and I'm a little bit afraid of it, but I kind of like it, you want but it. I don't right. know why I like it. So it's actually an exercise for your students to kind of get in touch with the fact that that type of uh,
2: there's a physiological content. piece to it that does that is um, a part of that. And then there's different ways of you know kind of incorporating lights banking. And again, I think S&M sometimes gets viewed as the end of the continuum that that people feel less comfortable with you know we think of the dominatrix dressed all in black and whipping people and handcuffs and and you know 's been hang. overall
0: stamped a taboo topic right when it comes to right because that 's what it evokes i i mean even personally i that 's what I think of immediately when I think of s and m or when we were when I was doing the slight research that I was doing for this agenda i that was the first picture that came to mind because that 's what movies have often joked about like sure. oh chains and whips, got sure. the sure. chains and whips out like mm-hmm. um, and so I think it 's funny um a little fun thing that i I saw up here is because it 's a taboo topic that. I think we explained that it's not talked about enough um but along with uh I wrote or I had on here alongside homosexuality in 1952 the DSM classified uh sadomasochism as a type of soci- sociopathic disorder and I think that with that tarnished reputation I mean luckily we've come a little bit farther in our uh comfortability talking about it all but um still hasn't come that far but it, I mean it, just, it, it was just interesting to me that in the past it was looked at as a sociopathic personality disorder, and maybe that taboo topic kind of maybe overlied all of what we think is bad or not necessarily normal about thinking about S and M and these sensations that people well, get.
3: this is Impact's Exposure on a Tuesday in May, and we're talking about S and M with Dr. Tina <laughs> Tim and Kevin. And myself four three two three eight nine three. I mean, you you started uh, part of the discussion today, Doctor Tim, by talking about your top three. Now, if we're if we we're going to talk about S and M, you know, and you can't package it, you can't just kind of package it in one little neat thing. It is on a continuum. If you were to give people advice about, say, three different pieces of advice when they when they're going to explore the issues of S and M, what would it be? I know one you talked about possibly a code word, or what would you you know? Because I I kind of want to give our listeners kind of a you know some advice about this area because it's not easily packaged and it's not uh, it is on a continuum you know and and one of the one of the advices or pieces of information I give them is, is, is there's a lot of people who engage in this hmm it, it's not abnormal it's not normal it is what you do and so there it, it is you know when I when I did uh, polls in my class or you know whether it was by hand or secret ballot you know, most people engage in some form of think, light spanking or arousal, physical arousal. Phones are lighting up now. We must have said the right <laughs> word. Uh, arousal. Yeah. arousal. But uh, so what else would you give them? I mean, tell them about the code word, for instance.
2: You know, I, I think um, certainly the code word can be used across the continuum as well, even with you know, nibbling on someone's neck, or light love bites, as people say, or spanking. There should be, or tickling, like the earlier caller. I think there should be some some way of saying to your partner that that is starting to feel uncomfortable for me, or I am, you know, that feels unsafe to me. I guess is a better way to say it. Because, yeah, I, I don't think that uh, being uncomfortable is necessarily a bad thing. I think sometimes people grow at the edge of their comfort comfort zone. Again, it's a very big recipe for boredom in long-term relationships if you just stay comfortable. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think the code word is definitely um, something that should be talked about to establish safety.
3: Let me check with our caller here and see what they have to say. Caller, you're on here. What comment or question do you have for us?
2: Oh,
1: hi. I was just listening, and um, I had heard your bit about sometimes... Um, of wet dreams and how women have sexually arousing dreams, and I've heard that um, for women sometimes it's better to imagine things. Like uh, I guess it's able for I'm sorry, it enables having an orgasm just imagining something rather than seeing or feeling or hearing something. Okay. And no, that was correctly.
3: Well, thank you for calling, and let's let's uh, ask Dr. Tim to respond.
2: Okay. I wouldn't say that it's an either or, um, which is kind of what your question made me think that you know fantasy is better than seeing touching, feeling. If you can get all those cylinders firing together that's I think the most powerful so if you can be thinking sexual thoughts or including sexual fantasies and things that are arousing to you, incorporate that into the touching, feeling, seeing, smelling. Um, type of things that you're already doing, I think it can be very very um powerful and there's lots of there 's lots of women who you know think of certain fantasies that are highly arousing to them and i you know I think that that's that can be a very helpful thing in a relationship you now i think the the part that gets that feels less comfortable for people is around you know what if my Fantasies or Mm -hmm. the things I'm thinking about aren't about my partner. Exactly. And people start feeling more worried about that, and then they don't want their partners to know about that. And, um, you know, I think that that starts to feel scary for people, and and I get that. And there's definitely relational impacts, especially if people are, uh, like I said earlier, less able to hold on to themselves, that they would feel intimidated by um, their Mm -hmm. partners being um, aroused by certain things or certain people. That said, I also want to reiterate for any of the listeners out there that if you're using any sort of fantasy to get aroused that does make you uncomfortable, um, that I do caution you, the more you use that fantasy, the more arousing it will be over time, and it sets neural pathways that really make that potentially your go-to fantasy. So if there's a fantasy that you're having that you don't want to have anymore, don't masturbate to it and don't have orgasms to it because it does reinforce it. You know, again, mm-hmm. that's that's for people that are thinking about things that are actually troubling to them or that they don't want to be thinking about.
3: Well, Carla, if if I can ask you and you, you can you can decline to answer is. Was your concern, uh, as Dr. Tim said, more about having fantasies about someone else while you were having sex with a partner, or was it more just having fantasies in general when you're having sex?
1: I think it's more about having fantasies with someone else. Um, I feel like fantasies um, with a partner wouldn't really be a big deal. Okay. Um, but I think it's just that that aspect of, oh, it's something new and different, and I, the what if aspect of it that makes it exciting but it's kind of like you had said kind of like taboo to think about it while you're with someone else you know what
3: i mean yeah i, I do know what you mean i, I think i've uh, uh, heard that several times over the years from people say is it normal is it all right for me they have fantasies about somebody else while i'm having sex with my partner my husband my w- lover whatever and i'm not sure uh, how to answer that it's hard to
0: disclose something that personal to... I mean, that's like a fear with anything that's really personal to yourself or your own personal thoughts. You don't want to divulge too much to somebody in fear of judgment, and I feel like uh, that's where a lot of that fear comes in. But, of course, you had mentioned, Caller, that there's an excitement about uh, this unknown, too. Um, it, it depends on, the I think, the uh, experience or the person, too, where uh, it might not be as exciting, and that's where it can be hard and difficult to divulge this personal information. And so...
2: I think it also depends on who the person is that you're fantasizing about. Mm-hmm. I think um, lots of partners, um, probably my, my partner included, you know, wouldn't be intimidated if I was, um, had a pretty hot fantasy about a movie star
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> because they know and I know that that's not very obtainable. But right. if you're having a fantasy about your neighbor, you're having a fantasy about someone that you work with, and there's potential for that to get eroticized in such a way where you're more likely to act on it, then it's a, it is a different story. Right. And it can be more intimidating to the partner to know that, you know, there's someone else that is, is becoming very um, uh, uh, kind of arousing to you. So I think it really depends on, you know, sometimes who the fantasy is about and what, are the likelihood, what is the likelihood that you might act on that.
3: I, I can't tell you the number of times my wife has said Brad Pitt is hot.
2: <laughs> I, I just can't tell
3: you, but uh, I hope we've uh, somewhat uh, addressed your concern. Thanks for thanks. calling in. Hold on the line so we can get your uh, we can get you that t-shirt prize and prize pack. Okay. Okay, thanks you. for calling. Thanks for calling. Yeah. You know, it is a, it is a uh, you know I'm, I'm glad you addressed it because I, I think I've heard that many times over the years from especially from couples who have been in my classes who say you know. Is it all right or is it normal for me to have fantasies about somebody else when I'm having sex with my partner and I feel guilty, I feel bad, and I think you put it in a great context. Yeah, if you're thinking about Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie or. (laughs) The unattainable. That's not obtainable and you just, you know, it heightens your arousal. I think that's not necessarily a a negative perspective, but if it's somebody else that you have in mind that's closer and. uh, Might bring in personal ties that confuse everything perhaps mm-hmm. a little bit more. Right. Well, uh, I don't know where this hour has gone, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, whoa. Uh, we addressed everything. Well, you <laughs> know, no, we, as we move into the summer, uh, and I said to give it, you know, I wanted you to give me your top three about S&M, and we'll have to come back in the fall and do those, but I think it's, I think we've at least broached the topic in the sense that we have uh, normalized it as, as on a continuum, and mm-hmm. that uh, uh, we can't compartmentalize it, and, and it's all about your top three. I'm going to go back to it. I gave you a crap for it in the beginning, but it is about <laughs> communication. It is about being brave, and it is about having fun.
2: That's what I was going to say. You wanted the top three. I I already gave them to you, mm-hmm. and they apply. <laughs> they apply to S and M.
3: Well, I, I, I think that's what we're trying to say. Is you know on this this show, and and I always applaud Impact for being brave to put us on the air mm-hmm. once a month for doing that. But you know, it's it's really giving people information. Uh, so that they can communicate better with themselves and with their partners. I have to choose to have a partner uh, because, as we all know, that not everybody chooses mm-hmm. to have a partner. And, and right. Sex yep, can still true. be fun, right? Sex can still be fun. <laughs>
2: and what's, you know, what's good about initiating the conversation is that you can blame it on this show. I was listening <laughs> right? to this crazy <laughs> yeah. doctor on impact, and, and she said to talk about these things good way well, to start the conversation.
3: I think that's, that's how we uh, determine whether we're being successful in life is the amount of people we tend to get to either complain about us or <laughs> rave about the information we put on there. But right. Provoking
0: yeah. thought, though.
2: That's, that's, right. that's right. That's right. That's
3: our job. And Rob's, Rob's giving me the eye in there, so I know that we're coming close to the end here, but if you have any questions uh, or concerns and you want to uh, uh, talk to us about it, you can call Olin Health Center mm-hmm. uh, and uh, mm-hmm. And send us an email, and I'll try to get that email to Dr. Tim. And uh, if she would like to uh, respond to you, we'll do that. But uh, uh, this is Dr. D for uh, Impact's Exposure. Uh, make yourself a good week. Thanks, everybody.
2: Thanks again for having me. Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on eighty-eight point nine, The Impact.
0: exclusive podcast from Impact.